this is Chase Masterson from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and this is Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast number 184 for July the 27th, 2008. It's another Sunday, another podcast, and we've got a great one for you this week. Uh, finally going to get around to uh, reviewing and looking at and talking about... Uh, probably one of uh, my favorite of the Trek movies, definitely my favorite of the next generation films, Star Trek First Contact. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some uh, comments from listeners to play about the movie and, and lots of things to go over for that. And that will be the very bulk of today's show. Got a lot to cover on that aspect. And some other things will slip in as well. Some news uh, coming out of Comic-Con which is going on uh, actually, actually as I record this. I think it's the last day today, Sunday, uh, of that huge media event out in San Diego and California. We've got some reports from Kenny uh, on that, uh, who is our West Coast correspondent, I guess, and uh, always goes to Comic-Con. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as well and some other bits of news and information. And I thought to, to start off this week's show, rather than playing that, that Star Trek music uh, theme that I've been doing the last few weeks, I'm going to play a little bit of the uh, soundtrack to Star Trek First Contact, just a little of the opening uh, part. This uh, soundtrack is, is again, uh, really well done, one of my favorites. I think I've talked about it a little bit before, and it's come up on the show a few times. But this was done by uh, Jerry Goldsmith primarily, with a little work uh, by Joel Goldsmith, who I believe is his son. So that I will be playing right now. So uh, sit back and enjoy today's show. hope you enjoyed that uh, brief bit of uh, selection from the Star Trek First Contact uh, soundtrack. Really good stuff there uh, by the Goldsmiths. 
And, uh, well, that'll be heard throughout the show in clips and things like that. But uh, I really like that opening bit of music. Oh, I also want to mention that uh, we've had some donations this past week. I want to say thanks very much to... Uh, we have uh, donations from Tim Miller, Walter Osborne, and Jen uh, all sent in donations this past week. Uh, I really want to uh, thank them for that. And again, if you'd like to donate to the show, just go to treksinsci-fi.com, and there's a link, a, a little $5 Monopoly money link up in the upright corner, and that's probably the easiest way to do it. Uh, also some links on the forums as well. Okay, we've got uh, just a few bit of uh, business and news and things like uh, the usual chit-chat like that about the uh, site and all kinds of things. Well, not a lot, but <laughs> uh, one thing. First off, uh, the voicemail, again, I've had to change. This has happened a couple of times, uh, but anyway, it's it's not a big deal, but if you would like to send a voicemail to the podcast, the number is up on the website uh, in the contact information. There's links, but here it is. It's 206 202 That is, and I was trying to find some new like acronym, you know how the, the the numbers on your phone have letters, and I, I just couldn't come up with anything. If anyone out there can come up with something for, I don't know, 1548 Trek-related uh, or any part of this number, something to make it more Trek-ish, uh, send that to me, treksf at gmail.com. But anyway, that's the new voicemail number. And send me your comments about books, movies, TV shows, things that you like in the geek world, gadgets, whatever, uh, and uh, we'll use those on the show. Also want to remind everyone uh, listening, uh, next weekend uh, for Podcast 185, that is going to be another video show. I am still looking for uh, submissions. Uh, the idea here is for people to talk about on video uh, their favorite Trek episode and, you know, maybe play a couple of clips from the episode. Make it probably about five minutes long at the most would be good and send those on in. I have a way to upload those using an FTP program, if you know what that is to uh, my web host if you need that or you can use a there's a service called you send it which will work for large files to send those and uh, if you're going to do that again my email treksf at gmail.com or again contact me there and i can help you get the file to me pretty much any video format i should be able to accept uh, i think mpeg4 type files probably will work best if you have a choice so send those on in and, and let us all know about your favorite trek episode Okay, yeah, I think we've gotten through all the business-type things uh, for the show this week. Uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, I uh, just wanted to mention those things to try to get them uh, up and out of the way now so I don't forget, and uh, I'm looking forward to those videos, too, especially. Uh, let's uh, talk Trek, of course. Uh, let's talk Trek movie. Uh, there is a, a little bit uh, of Trek talk that's going on out in, in uh comic-con uh they did have a panel mostly uh it was the guys working on this new fox show i think it's on fox called fringe uh, this is uh, a panel with jj abrams and a couple of other guys is a couple of uh one of them is um, one of the executive producers of the star trek movie as well uh who is also somebody working with jj and anyway there is a, a video clip here 
And then I found over at uh, goodoldreliabletrekmovie.com, uh, credit to them for this. This is a bit of the Comic-Con panel talking uh, with J.J. Uh, Abrams. You'll be hearing him speak first. I'm going to play a little of this for you right now. And this is just, uh, they did have to uh, slip in, even though I think they were trying to keep the Trek talk uh, down, uh, you know, since we're still about 10 months or whatever it is, nine months away for the movie. But anyway, here is J.J. talking about his excitement uh, for the Trek movie. Uh, it's just that the, the idea is not to, you know, put this thing out there as if it were coming out in December because you have to pace yourself in a way. So uh, I am dying to show you this movie. I love this movie. I love the actors. It's so good. The script is amazing. Alex Bob wrote it. It's one of these things that, despite the effects not working, you know, the original show wasn't about the effects. It's about the relationships and the dynamic of the characters. The reason that I know the movie's working, and I don't want to jinx anything, but it's like when I watch it, the reason I know it's working is you care about the, the story, the people, it makes you feel, it's funny, it's scary, it's, it's all these things that, that we hoped originally, and they're walking around and there's, you know, there's nothing on the view screen, you know, or they're walking around and there's, there's a big thing of green right there, you know, but you're, it's working for the actors, so good, so, so I, I'm done to show you that I, you know, I'm sorry for the strategy of... Uh, you know, with Paramount not being here um, precludes us from being able to present to you something that, you know, if I were worried you guys, and I feel like I am, I would, you know, I would really want to see. So uh, it'll be soon. So I apologize. Oh, you're staying in the room. Yeah, so you can hear, uh, I think definitely you can hear the excitement for the film in J.J.'s voice there, you know, talking about the acting and that you care about the characters and the script being solid. And I, I, I just... I really trust this guy, and I really believe what he's saying. I, I really think we're going to have a great movie. I, I just think this guy knows what makes uh, an audience pulls them in. You know, his TV shows like Alias, Lost. He just this guy knows how to how to work an audience, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I just mean he knows what works for uh, for movies and for TV. I think both, and I, I just I, I just can't be any more excited to see the movie. And it's going to be still a long haul till next May, but I think we can make it. And they, they talked a little bit about the trailer. Uh, you know, the, the main thing they kept saying was that a lot of, you know, the vast, vast majority of the special effects work, which I think is all being done by ILM, has not been really done. And there's, I guess they want to put a lot of that stuff into the trailer. So it's probably going to be a while. My guess would be it would be like the fall time period, like, you know, November, December, when all the big fall movies come out, that we would see a, a full-blown Trek trailer. And that would make sense because with the movie coming out in May, I, I think uh, for them to debut a, a pretty decent trailer around the Christmas time period would be uh, just about perfect. So uh, pretty exciting. And uh, I'm going to just uh, segue over into uh, Kenny, uh, his reports from Comic-Con. And he's got a couple of them here. Uh, I may talk in between a little bit. But anyway, here's his first one. This is a talking about Comic-Con on Thursday. So take it away, Kenny. Hey, Rico. It's Kenny from California. And I just wanted to call in and give you my first report on San Diego Comic-Con 2008 it's the first day. It's Thursday. Um, the day didn't start off too well, actually. I left my house at 7 a.m., and it's normally a two-hour drive down to San Diego, and this time it took about seven and a half hours. There was an accident that closed down the freeway, and we were stuck in the middle of nowhere, so we couldn't turn around. And so I sat in my car, and, uh, 
wasn't a, a great way to start the Comic-Con, especially since this Comic-Con was going to be shortened because I had other plans uh, for the weekend, so I was only going to be able to spend like Thursday and Friday there. Um, so it was kind of disappointing, but I did finally get there, but I did miss the Doctor Who panel, which I really wanted to go to, and the Torchwood panel, which I really wanted to go to, but missed. Um, but I did get there, and it was a madhouse. They it, The Thursday felt like a Saturday, because normally Thursdays are kind of slower. Not this time around. Uh, every year I go, it tends to get busier and busier, and this year was, I mean, I think they predicted 125,000 people there for just Thursday, and that's normally like Friday and Saturday numbers. So it's pretty amazing, and it was packed with people. Uh, the first thing I did is I went to the floor, uh, to all the dealer rooms, uh, checked out all of the, all the merchandise and, and, you know, all the prototypes of all the upcoming toys and action figures and stuff like that. Um, I did uh, get to meet Lou Ferrigno, which was really cool. He's always at the Comic-Cons, but uh, it's always cool to see him. And uh, another cool uh, person I got to meet was, um, I don't remember her name. She plays Tosh on Torchwood. Uh, very beautiful. Beautiful and sweet. Um, so that was that was really cool to meet her. I know she was at the panel, so even though I missed the panel, at least I did get to see her uh, signing autographs at the booth. Um Three other people from Star Trek that were there that I actually got to meet were um, the actor who plays uh, Jake Sisko, who's grown up a lot. Um, I got to meet uh, Avery Brooks, who plays Benjamin Sisko, and uh, uh, Nicole, um, I can't remember her last name, she plays Esri Dax. Uh, so those three were there signing. Every year, this one booth has always three or four Star Trek actors there every day. So, um, but that was really cool to see them. Uh, it was just a crazy, crazy start to Comic-Con, and it was just uh, a madhouse. And um, I'm hoping Friday goes a lot better. So uh, I will call back with Friday. Thanks, Rico. Oh, Kenny, sorry to hear about your traffic jam. I know how those are. I've been stuck in a couple like that before, and... Uh... It can really make it difficult, especially when I know you were anxious to get down there. Sorry to hear that. Uh, but it sounds like you still got to meet some interesting people. Uh, Tosh is uh, her name. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. It's it's Naoko Mori. Uh, I'm not sure, again, if I'm pronouncing Naoko, uh, N-A-O-K-O. And uh, she's, uh, yeah, she looks uh, like she'd be a lot of fun and uh, did a great job on Torchwood. Uh, loved her on that uh, and uh, you got to meet Sirak, uh, who was Jake, and uh, and the other ones, Nicole DeBoer. Is that how you say her name? DeBoer? I don't know. It's French or something, right? <laughs> and Avery Brooks, of course, who I just saw a couple months ago at the Motor City Comic Con, and uh, who is always a, a treat, I think, and a real intelligent guy. So anyway, and um, let's uh, play Kenny's other portion to this he's got another one this one's a little bit longer this is a report from uh his experience on friday at comic con so take it away again kenny hey rico it's kenny from california and it's friday of comic con day two and got there an hour early and there were tons and tons of people already waiting to get in it just amazes me how much uh, how popular this has grown I had to actually get there because I was going to pick up some exclusive figures for some friends on the forum. And the Hasbro booth, you can no longer just stand in line to get to buy stuff at their shop. You have to actually 
get there early in the morning in another location and get a ticket just to be able to stand in line to hopefully get an exclusive figure from the shop. Um, that's something new this year, so I had no idea when I tried Thursday, so I knew I had to go there first thing Friday and try to get a ticket, which I tried, and when I went upstairs to this place where you're supposed to get the ticket just to stand in line, there was about two to 300 people standing in line waiting to get a ticket, which was probably about a two-hour wait to get a ticket. So you had to wait two hours just to get a ticket so you can go stand downstairs in line at the, star- at the Hasbro store. Um, which probably took another two hours, two, three hours, to just get through that line to maybe buy an exclusive if they still had it in stock. That's the kind of, that's what Comic-Con has become. It's just unbelievably crazy. Um, Obviously, I didn't do that since my time was short. Uh, I couldn't afford to spend six hours in line just to try to get, you know, two exclusive action figures. Um... So I, instead, I went down to the floor again. Uh, I decided not to do any panels because I wanted to actually enjoy uh, the dealer room because there's so much to do. I mean, you can spend all you know days and days in the dealer room and not see everything. So I wanted to do that. I found the Paramount booth, uh, which was promoting Star Trek, and it was really cool. Um, they had laptops. The whole, the whole concept was they give you these cards, and they're like a scratcher, and you scratch off, and there are eight specific jobs. Uh, being part of the crew that builds a ship. So you had like inspector, you had a foreman, you had a welder, uh, stuff like that. So you all scratched off, and then you would go over to these computers, these laptops that they had. You would take a picture of yourself. You would put whatever was on your card. So I first card I got was inspector. So you mark inspector, and then they put your face up all over their booths and these big TV screens with the word inspector. Because the, the whole point of it is you're supposed to build a crew. So everyone's around there scratching off, and you're trying to find other members of your crew. So you're trying to build a crew of eight people, uh, one of each uh, profession. Um, and then when, once you get your crew of eight... You take it to someone who was working there, and they would give you Star Trek really nice messenger bags. Um, uh, and um, so, so you spend uh, most of the time you're scratching it off, and everyone's screaming what they need. So people are over there saying, "Oh, I need a foreman! I need a foreman! I need a welder! I need a welder!" And everyone's trying to group up. And what was fun is that I think welder was the hardest one to get because everybody needed a welder, and there was always these groups of seven. And you needed that one last person, and it was a welder. Um, so I actually managed to get into a group, and we were looking for a welder. And probably, I'd say, half hour, 45 minutes later, um, a guy comes up and says, Oh, you need a welder. And so we actually got our group of eight. And so we made it, and we got um, got one of our... got We all got Star Trek bags, and we uh, got put into a drawing for a laptop. So... We'll see what happens, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they weren't handing out posters there. What you could do is you had to sign up uh, with those laptop computers after you took your picture. You had to sign up, and they said they would mail you um, a poster. So I'll see how that goes. Um, I put my name in for one, so hopefully I will get one of the posters. But um, it was a really cool booth. It was, I just like the whole interaction with everybody. And... Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, other than that, I just kind of went around from booth to booth, checking out uh, new new toys and new prototypes, and and um, took a lot of 
pictures because that's one of my favorite parts of Comic-Con are all the people dressed up. And there were quite a few people dressed up, so um, I'll be posting all that to the forum when I get a moment. Um, but that was basically it for Friday. I had to leave to uh, drive back home to pick up uh, my partner's family from Austria. So, yeah, so that that's my shortened Comic-Con experience for 2008. I'm hoping to make it back down there possibly Sunday. So we'll see what happens. If I do, I'll send in a report. If not, uh, it was a short Comic-Con, crazy Comic-Con, but it was fun, as usual. And I look forward to next year. Thanks, Rico. Well, thank you, Kenny, for those reports on your quick visit to Comic-Con. Sounds pretty crazy. And uh, I think I've said before, you know, I, I've gone to many uh, conventions over the years. I haven't made it to Comic-Con, but it's a uh, it kind of, and I don't want to be negative at all, really, but the size and the scope and the, and the like you said, these huge lines for collectibles, uh, for exclusives and all that, just really doesn't do it for me as much. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I mean, I can't see spending six hours in line just to get a figure. I mean, I love collecting things and collectibles and all that, but my time is, you know, as years and months or whatever churn away, uh, is a lot more precious. I like the experience. It sounds like the Trek booth that you went to. I, I saw a little bit of that. There was some uh, photos up online, and the way they were doing that uh, with the little scratch-offs, like you said, and, and making the crew and all that is uh, is a cool little thing, and they even have this new little website. They're doing this little connection with Intel. I'll try to link that in the podcast notes this week, which has got a, a, a little website up uh, related to the Trek movie, too. So, uh, yeah, it's nice that those kind of things, and I, I love, like you said, the interactivity that they're trying to promote there rather than just, here, here's some buttons, here's some bags, here's some posters, take it away and run away. You know, that, that keeps you around the booth and gets you sort of pulled in, I think, a little bit more. So anyway, again, thanks for your report, Kenny, and uh, I will uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future, of course, as always. Transfer of data is complete. Imagine a race of beings possessed of one mind, driven by one will, intent on one purpose, to seize our past and control our future. Set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. Now, one captain against orders. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Must succeed where all others have failed. Looks like the control deck's 26 up to 11. They have assimilated more than half the ship. Surrender yourself or we will destroy your ship. The line must be drawn here. Star Trek. First contact. Yes, that, of course, uh, one of the early trailers for Star Trek First Contact, our main subject for today, and just a, a, a terrific movie. Let's uh, let's give you some of the particulars. It uh, came out, uh, first came out on November 22nd, 1996, so almost 12 years ago now. Uh, it was uh, nominated for some Oscar awards, uh, mostly, of course, in the effects categories. This, of course, was 
the first of the truly uh, pure, I guess is the right way, or, or complete next generation films. Uh, it featured only the 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 cast from Next Gen. You know, it had some cameos from some of the other characters from other series. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that as we go. It ran uh, 111 minutes. Uh, it was uh, just a, a great movie, a big release, uh, won the opening weekend, uh, and uh, it was directed by uh, Jonathan Frakes. His first, uh, he had done some of the work, of course, on the TV series, and this was his first big budget film to uh, to basically, you know, they wanted somebody who knew Trek, who was very close to the actors. Uh, for this, I think was the primary reason from what I've looked up and and learned over the years. And you know, there of course there were a lot of good directors and everything, but they decided to go with uh, with Jonathan with number one for the directing job, and he did a really good job. And and we'll talk about that as we go through the film. Now, uh, when you tackle something like a movie like this, or when I'm tackling this, it, it's it's a little tricky and a little different to, of of how I want to do it. I mean, I've got clips, of course, to play from the film i've got uh three or four i think different uh people uh discussing it that sent in audio comments from people that i know uh who listen to the podcast and we'll be playing those throughout as well but uh i it's it's a little tricky of where to begin i guess uh let's just say uh when this movie came out i'll i'll go back in time at least and try to remember my thoughts as i first saw it and over the years as well it, uh, you know, Generations, you know, the movie that they bridged between the original crew and Next Generation, I enjoyed that movie a lot, and I've covered that one before, so I won't go into a lot of it again, but I don't think that that was really the kind of movie that the, the Next Generation fans really wanted to see, maybe, uh, but uh, that was in 1994, so in 96, uh, so only about two years later, the the again first contact came out and this is a, a great great movie the plot is solid it's done by uh the story was sort of rick berman and uh brennan braga and ron moore those two guys really did the script and the story braga and moore who also of course did generations and of course ron moore now has gone on to great uh, heights and things with Battlestar Galactica, which we talked about uh, many times on the podcast. But, you know, these guys had a solid story. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, the The idea was, first, uh, I guess, when Rick Berman uh, was given the go-ahead to, to do another Trek movie, he, uh, from what I found out, he is the one that really wanted to do something time travel related. Time travel and Trek have always sort of had a, a, a pretty good history. Those episodes are usually pretty interesting, and uh, Next Generation had done quite a few good ones, especially like yesterday's Enterprise comes to mind. Uh, but messing around in the past is always something that uh, Trek can do and does pretty well. I'm, I'm Of course, Star Trek uh, for The Voyage Home, one of the most successful of the Trek films with the original crew, was a time travel story as well. So you have that. Uh, but these guys, the, the idea, again, a time travel story. And, of course, for, you have to have an adversary, and what better adversary that they had had on TNG than the Borg? So they decided, hey, let's have a, let's do both. Let's do a time travel story related to the Borg. And the the first idea was to set it in the Renaissance time period that the Borg would go back in time, mess around. That was sort of a, the dawn of, I guess, in a way, scientific thought and and modern things, uh, in, you know, modern thinking in a way, lots of things. And, and for some reason, that one caught Rick Berman's eye, 
and he said, "Hey, let's go, let's go back. We'll have them. They can do sword fighting and things." And but I guess one of the things I heard and read was uh, Patrick Stewart really didn't want to be running around looking like Robin Hood again. They had done that on the series, and so they changed the time frame. And then this one's a little uh, it's a little shaky. Who came up with the idea of let's let's set it in the uh, period of just the the dawn of of you know first contact, the dawn of when uh, humans, when people on Earth first met aliens uh, for the very first time, known as first contact in Star Trek lore. And I guess Brandon Braga is the guy that mainly came up with that one. But then uh, when that idea sort of solidified, that set the time frame. You know, it would be in the early 21st century or so. Uh, World War Three had happened. And Earth was in pretty bad shape, and you still had this guy, this Zephyrin Cochran character, who was still off there out in the woods of Montana working on his warp drive ship. And, you know, he's a, he's a very interesting character. We'll talk about that as we go, played by James Cromwell in the movie. And, and he's not what people would expect. He's not some nerdy little scientist. He's he's a drinker. He's kind of a womanizer. Uh, he likes his rock and roll, and, it, again, Really, really well done. I like the fact that they go against type in in this and go against type in the, in the movie in a lot of different ways. He is not what you would expect for a guy who's who's super smart who's working on warp drive out in the woods of Montana. And uh, that uh, they also uh, Brandon Braga, I guess, also was the one that set it in Montana. He thought that would be a good place. It's kind of isolated, and he I think that's his home. I think he grew up in that area. So. That's another factor there. Oh, an interesting tidbit here. Uh, Ron Moore, I think it's his daughter or his wife. I'll have to look it up again. I'll look it up again when I play a clip. But the first contact date, the the date, uh, I think it's, what is it, April something? April 4th or 7th or whatever? Let me look in my book while I'm jabbing away here, jabbering. And da-da-da-da-da. I'll look it up in a few minutes. Never mind. Anyway, Ron Moore, somebody in his family, that that's their birthday. So that's how they picked the, the date of first contact. Uh, what else uh, before we really get into things? Uh, just really a solid uh, group. Uh, you know, all the, the the main actors are back and do a great job. Alice Cridge, is that how you say her name? Plays the Borg Queen here. A great job. And then you've got that whole story with, with Data being human and, and the Borg. I mean, this movie just has so many facets and layers to it. I think that's what makes it solid. It's not just, oh, the Borg go back in time, they're bad, let's kill them, let's stop them, and then they go forward. Uh, that is, uh, isn't, that's just a piece of it. And, and, and again, I think that just shows how great this movie is, that they really involve uh, the characters and everyone. Now, of course, this is a big Patrick Stewart, uh, a Jean-Luc Picard story with his past with the Borg and, and his his chance to really get back at them in a way, and that plays into this movie a lot. I'm really glad that they pulled that in, but after what happened in Best of Both Worlds, he, you know, he's never really quite recovered from that. He's never really had a chance to strike back at them, and Patrick Stewart just does a great job in, in this movie and, and because of all that. So, uh, hey, I, I've blathered here enough. I need a drink of some iced tea, but let's play a clip. This is uh, early in the movie, sort of sets the stage for things a little bit, uh, and uh, here we go. We finished our first sensor sweep of the neutral zone. Oh, fascinating. 20 particles of space dust per cubic meter, 52 ultraviolet radiation spikes, and a class 2 comet. Wow, this is certainly worthy of our attention. Captain, why are we out here chasing comets? Let's just say, 
If Starfleet has every confidence in the Enterprise and her crew, they're just not sure about her captain. They believe that a man who was once captured and assimilated by the Borg should not be put in a situation where he would face them again. To do so would introduce an unstable element to a critical situation. That's ridiculous. Your experience with the Borg makes you the perfect man to lead this fight. Admiral Hayes disagrees. Bridge to Captain Picard. Go ahead. We've just received word from the fleet. They've engaged the Borg. Yeah, you can see from that clip, you know, the the, the fact that Starfleet doesn't really trust Picard. They're or they're afraid, you know, he'll he'd jump over there and and the Borg would wave their little Borg magic wands at him or whatever, and he would be assimilated again and and betray them. Uh, that. I think that that works. I'm okay with that idea, and of course, it, it leads its you know leads to the fact that that they're really, of course, you know, Star Trek. Yeah, I'm blathering. Uh, let me focus here a second. You know, Star Trek always likes ha- to have this sort of habit, and they've done this in in many uh, stories and everything. What you know, with especially with Kirk and, and maybe uh, with Picard eventually, but you know, the whole idea that uh, Starfleet is sort of this somewhat bumbling a little bit and and that the the captains kirk picard and so forth know a little bit better and and riker even says it in in, you know in a good line in that clip about he he being you know uh, picard being really the best guy the the guy that knows the borg the best is the guy that they really want on the front line and uh, of course they sort of defy orders here a little bit and and run back and and help them out and and kind of take over uh, the whole thing and become instrumental, of course, in stopping the Borg. And it just goes again to show that, you know, the the crew of the Enterprise know what's best, and Starfleet doesn't really. So that's why they uh, they make movies about them, right? Anyway, let's do another clip. Here we go with uh, with uh, a way that they pulled uh, Worf into the movie. So listen to this. Report. Main power's offline. We've lost shields. Our weapons are gone. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed! Sir, there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise. Defiance losing life support. Bridge to transporter room three. Beam the Defiance survivors aboard. Captain, the Admiral's ship has been destroyed. What is the status of the Borg cube? It has sustained heavy damage to its outer hull. I am reading fluctuations in their power grid. On screen. Number one, open a channel to the fleet. Channel open, sir. This is Captain Picard of the Enterprise. I'm taking command of the fleet. Target all of your weapons onto the following coordinates. Fire at my command, sir. The coordinates you have indicated do not appear to be a vital system. Trust me, Data. The fleet's responded, sir. They're standing by. Fire.
Yeah, so Picard has a few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, and I was watching this scene again when I was collecting these clips and just listening to it there, and I'm a little wondering what people think. Uh, there's two questions that come to mind with all this uh, and, and what Picard knows about where to shoot at the Borg cube there and how to how to damage it. Does he just learn that information right there in the moment? I think that's the case because it really doesn't make sense that he, if he knew that, you know, years ago when he was assimilated by the Borg, wouldn't all that be – wouldn't he have documented that and, and, and spread that information throughout Starfleet to, to basically warn them that if they did run into a Borg cube, hey, shoot these coordinates and you'll blow it up? Uh, so, you know, there's something about him being close and, and maybe in proximity to the Borg there again that sort of links him in perhaps and he's and he's like i don't know the borg are going oh i hope they don't shoot at these coordinates or something why do the borg sound like they're from texas now i don't know because <laughs> if they shoot at the the coordinates there they, they did knock out the whole cube you know oh i i do a really bad southern accent people uh don't don't email me <laughs> anyway uh so that uh that's my take on that scene uh where are we at now uh, of course, there's a little sphere that pops out of the cube there, and they and they get away. You know, the Borg and the Queen and everyone, and that's what creates. Uh, they they go off and head towards Earth, and 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 how do they get so close to Earth? I guess that's in, you know, in a two-hour movie, you can only do so much. So uh, I was going to say something else. Oh yes, of course, this is the first movie you get to see uh, the Enterprise E. You know, the super deluxe Enterprise, like a. You know, super deluxe Enterprise with monster torpedoes, and it's a huge ship, and it's a really cool effect there when the uh, the Enterprise first comes in and swoops in and in front of the Defiant, which is a tough little ship. Oh, a, a point about that: the Defiant being the this is the first time the Defiant really gets to to fight the Borg. You know, that ship was created to fight the Borg. It was eventually used on Deep Space Nine, uh, you know, to counter uh, the threats there. Uh, especially with the the founders and all that situation, but uh, the changelings. But the uh, you know this is the chance where the Defiant actually gets to fight. I guess they were uh, around Earth at the time or near enough that they got to get into the fight, and it was a cool way to bring Worf uh, back aboard. You know, ramming speed. Who doesn't like that line when Worf says ramming speed? So, uh, but the ship is salvaged. Uh, they they were thinking of actually destroying the Defiant in this battle. But uh, they didn't want to do that. They thought that that was just kind of a throwaway. It really didn't uh, n- wasn't necessary. So they decided to s- to salvage it. You know, there's a line in there that something like the the defiant is pretty well damaged, but it's it, they can salvage and repair it. So uh, let's get into the uh, temporal vortex. Sensors show chronometric particles emanating from the sphere. They're creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. Data, report. We appear to be caught in a temporal wake. Captain, Earth. The atmosphere contains high concentrations of methane, carbon monoxide, and fluorine. Life signs? Population approximately 9 billion. All Borg. How? They must have done it in the past. They went back and assimilated Earth, changed history. But if they changed history, why are we still here? Temporal wake must have somehow protected us from the changes in the timeline. Yeah, there you go. uh, The the Borg uh, and their little uh, sphere ship are are going back in time 
the enterprise is following. Um, I can again, it's it's how they get back in time isn't really critical. Does it kind of make sense? Well, if you believe in time travel, whatever, and the enterprise being not altered, being able to go back in time because they're they're they've already moved back in time before the changes are taking place. Now eh, you can sort of, if you think too hard about it, you'll probably get a headache, but I think it works for me. And uh, let's get to, um, hey, where are they in the past? We're firing on the surface. Location. Western Hemisphere. North American continent. It's like a missile complex in central Montana. Missile complex. The date. Data. I need to know the exact date. April 4th, 2063. April 4th. The day before first contact. Precisely. Then the missile complex must be where Zephyr Cochran is building his warp ship. That's what they came here to do. Stop first contact. How much damage, Lieutenant? Can't tell. Long-range sensors are still offline. We'll have to go down there, find out what happened. Data, Beverly, you're with me. Have a security team meet us in transporter room three. Computer, mid-21st century civilian clothing. Number one, you have the bridge. Okay, I looked up the uh, the first contact date, and it is uh, the date of the birth of, of Ron Moore's first child is how they picked that date. Of course, not the year, of, but the, the actual date in April there that they give in that last clip. Uh, again, there's a big thing. I don't think I've mentioned this one yet, that there was a very big change in this story that happened uh, during the script. Uh, the first uh, draft basically left uh, Picard on Earth throughout the whole thing. He was basically the one helping Cochrane launch the ship and all of that. And uh, Riker was left aboard the Enterprise to fight the Borg. Now, they, they wisely realized, and I guess uh, from some of the things I've heard and read, that uh, and Patrick Stewart actually kind of mentioned this. You know, he's again the Borg expert, the Borg guy. He should be really fighting the Borg. So they swapped it all out, and things just really fell into place at that point. They put uh, Jean Luc back on the Enterprise. He first goes down, of course, to Earth, but then he goes back quickly, and he is back up the Enterprise fighting the Borg out. And Riker is on the the surface of uh, the planet on on Earth on in Montana helping. Um, Zephram Cochran out. Now, another thing about the Cochran story is that they were, they the first idea for this was that Cochran would have been hurt in the, those first little attacks at the Borg that when they're blasting at Earth. He is hurt, badly uh, injured, and uh, at the time it was really Picard who was uh, still on Earth. Picard is actually the one that has to take the Phoenix up, do the first warp flight, and all of that. But when I think when they changed Cochran's character and it made him a lot more interesting, they decided, no, that, that's not right. Cochrane should be the guy doing the flight, not somebody from the Enterprise from the future. And that seemed a little too simple and a little too clean and neat. So they decided, again, wisely to keep uh, Cochrane around. He's kind of this cantankerous old guy, and, and uh, he's just a lot of fun in the movie. James Cromwell did audition for this and just really nailed it and knocked these guys off their seats when, they, when he came in and read for the part. Uh, and Alfrey Woodward, of course, for Lily. I guess they had her in mind almost all along for that part as his, um, I guess, assistant or something. They don't really go into a lot of detail on that. But um, so that's the, that's the whole idea of how the you know the scripts and changes and story evolved. And you can see it would have been a lot different movie if they had kept some of those other ideas. So let's get into a uh, another clip here. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll go- 
Who is this jerk? Who called me to turn off my music? Will Riker? Zephram Cochran. Good friend of yours? Yes. Husband? No. Good. Now this, Deanna. Deanna. This is the good stuff. Dr. Cochran. To the Phoenix. May she rest in peace. Okay. That wasn't so good. Well, I think we have to tell him the truth. If we tell the truth, the timeline... Timeline! This is no time to argue about time. We don't have the time. What was I saying? You're drunk. I am not. Yes, you are. Look, he wouldn't even talk to me unless I had a drink with him. And then it took three shots of something called tequila just to find out he was the one we're looking for. And I've spent the last 20 minutes trying to keep his hands off me. So don't go criticizing my counseling techniques. Sorry. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. You blended all right. I already told him our cover story. He didn't believe me. We are running out of time. Now, if we tell him the truth, do you think he'll be able to handle it? If you're looking for my professional opinion as ship's counselor, he's nuts. I'll be sure to note that in my log. Oh, what a great, great scene there. There, this is this is no time to argue about time. Marina does a great job in this part. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, I think. Just it's just so real, and and I don't know, and and of course her getting a little drunk. I I don't think uh, you know these characters in the 24th century can handle real alcohol at all. Probably one drink pretty much did her in. So anyway, and and Zephyrin Cochran there, just uh, James Cromwell. I, I've always liked him as an actor, and he just really knocks it out of the park in this part and playing Cochran in this movie. The um, I think the next clip relates to him as well, and they're talking to encourage uh, him making the flight. So let's play that. <laughs> That's a trick. <laughs> How'd you do that? It's your telescope. That's our ship, the Enterprise. And, uh, Lily's up there right now? That's right. Can I talk to her? We've lost contact with the Enterprise. We don't know why yet. So, what is it you want me to do? Simple. Conduct your warp flight tomorrow morning, just as you planned. Why tomorrow morning? Because at 11 o'clock, an alien ship will begin passing through this solar system. Alien, you mean... Extraterrestrials? More bad guys? Good guys. They're on a survey mission. They have no interest in Earth. Too primitive. Oh. Doctor, 
Tomorrow morning, when they detect the warp signature from your ship and realize that humans have discovered how to travel faster than light, they decide to alter their course. And they make first contact with Earth, right here. Here? Uh, actually, over there. It is one of the pivotal moments in human history, Doctor. You get to make first contact with an alien race. And after you do, everything begins to change. Your theories on warp drive allow fleets of starships to be built and mankind to start exploring the galaxy. It unites humanity in a way that no one ever thought possible when they realize they're not alone in the universe. Poverty, disease, war, they'll all be gone within the next 50 years. But unless you make that warp flight tomorrow morning, before 11.15, none of it will happen. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Look, Doc, I know this is a lot for you to take in, but we're running out of time here. We need your help. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, a good scene there again. Uh, they get to show the Enterprise through uh, Cochrane's telescope, try to convince them of what's uh, the story and what everything that's going on. Of course, they don't tell them everything, but uh, the uh, the thing there, too, where he mentions, you know, you, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek, that's really the, the only time the word Star Trek have, have ever really been read and, and, you know, vocalized, well, acted out on, on they've... Uh, on, in a movie or in the, or in the series, they, there was sort of a cue line in the last TNG episodes where he says something like your trek from through the stars is going to end or something in the last episode. But the, putting Star Trek together in, in in film or on the TV series, it's really the only time it's ever happened. Pretty neat, I thought. And I, I thought that it wasn't too corny or, or weird to put that in, but I liked it. Not always. But often. Why do you insist on utilizing this primitive linguistic communication? Your android brain is capable of so much more. Have you forgotten? I'm endeavoring to become more human. Human? We used to be exactly like them. Flawed. Weak. Organic. But we evolved to include the synthetic. Now we use both to attain perfection. Your goal should be the same as ours. Believing oneself to be perfect is often the sign of a delusional mind. Small words from a small being trying to attack what he doesn't understand. I understand that you have no real interest in me. That your goal is to obtain the encryption codes for the Enterprise computer. That is one of our goals. One of many. But in order to reach it, I'm willing to help you reach yours. That's a, a good scene between Data and the Borg Queen, again played by Alice Krige, Krige, Kroge. <laughs> Sorry, Alice, I'm uh, not saying your name right. Uh, but, uh, you know, she's trying to uh, basically here, Data is this android, mostly machine, trying to become human. And they start to play this little, you know, game with him and grafting on skin and all that and trying to basically turn him to the Borg side. And, uh, and it, you know, as people who know and have seen this movie, there's, there's really... Uh, you know, Data has his own mind, and, and the, you're not going to really turn him away from Starfleet and, and his friends and all that so easily. So uh, the next scene, this scene that I've got next is a fairly long clip 
uh, probably one of the longest of that I'm going to play here from the movie. But I think this is probably one of the most important scenes or, or one of the biggest scenes in the film. Of course, this is the scene that features uh, Picard and Lily in his uh, little ready room area. And, well, the scene will explain itself. Here you go. Six years ago, they assimilated me into their collective. I had their cybernetic devices implanted throughout my body. I was linked to the hive mind. Every trace of individuality erased. I was one of them. So you can imagine, my dear, I have a somewhat unique perspective on the Borg, and I know how to fight them. Now, if you will excuse me, I have work to do. I'm such an idiot. It's so simple. The Borg hurt you, and now you're going to hurt them back. In my century, we don't succumb to revenge. We have a more evolved sensibility. Bullshit! I saw the look on your face when you shot those Borg on the holodeck. You were almost enjoying it. Oh, come on, Captain. You're not the first man to get a thrill from murdering someone. I see it all the time. Get out! Or what? You'll kill me? Like you killed Ensign Lynch? There was no way to save him. You didn't even try. Where was your involved sensibility then? I don't have time for this. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your little quest. Captain Ahab has to go hunt his whale. You do have books in the 24th century. This is not about revenge. Liar! This is about saving the future of humanity! John, look, blow up the damn ship! No! No! I will not sacrifice the Enterprise. Made too many compromises already, too many retreats. They invade our space and we fall back. They assimilate entire worlds and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I will make them pay for what they've done. Broke your little ships. Oh, great, great scene there. You can see, uh, you can really hear Picard and his anguish and, and his need to, to get back at no matter what he says about the way they are and, you know, revenge in the future, the, his need to, to strike back at the uh, at the Borg. You know, what, what they did to him, like he says, you know, took away all of his individuality. You know, I, I just can't imagine almost anything worse to, to have happen to somebody. I mean, I just, I I, I hate to get pushed and, and, you know, kind of like, you know, if somebody tells me to turn right, if 10 people tell me to turn right, I'm usually the guy who'll turn left, you know, type of thing. So it's just, just what happened to him with the Borg, I just can't imagine anything really worse. 
to, to basically become a sort of a puppet and, and for them and and not you know have your own will and your own say so uh it's a good scene you know and alfred woodward there uh playing lily you know there there are very few people who in characters who go up against picard but i i think it's interesting that they brought in a guest uh, for that part you know it wasn't uh dr crusher or or troy or anything like that it was this this outsider really that said those kind of things and i I think that again it works just because you know people that would be closer to him might be have just kind of be a little softer on him but she can be tough and and push him to realize you know hey i can't just continue to fight them i have to do what's right and and what makes the most sense is to you know when they start the countdown to blow up the enterprise of course that doesn't end up happening but uh that's a different story you know he realizes his quest for revenge is not going to be the right course of action. So, and, and she gets through to him. So, uh, let's get on to uh, the launch of the Phoenix. Final launch sequence checks are complete. Good luck. Everybody ready to make some history? Always am. I think I forgot something. What? I don't know. It's probably nothing. Begin ignition sequence. Twenty. Oh God. Nineteen. Now I remember. Eighteen. What? Where is 17, it? What? Sixteen. We can't lift off without 15, it. Jordy, we've got to abort. 14, no, no 13, way! I found it. Twelve. Eleven. Ten. Nine. Eight. Let's seven, rock and roll. Six. <laughs> Oh, just great, great scene there. I love it that he needs his little music, uh, magic carpet ride. I think that's Steppenwolf, yeah. That uh, to, to, in order to launch the ship, he needs to have that little theme music playing for himself. I, I just, that, it's just so perfect for uh, Cochrane, you know, him being this sort of genius nutcase a little bit. Uh, I just love that, and uh, they really use it well in this. And that was the. Uh, that's a Titan uh, deactivated uh, Titan missile complex in Tucson, Arizona. They filmed all those scenes in around the uh, missile uh, that you see in the movie. Uh, it was pretty neat that they got to go in there and do that. All right, the uh, couple clips left to go. This is kind of running into a long podcast. We have all the comments from listeners to play too, which will be a bit. Uh, but I, I think it's uh, important. It's a great movie, so I really wanted to cover it well. Uh, the next clip, this is after, I believe, uh, the scene, you know, Picard is brought down to, to meet the Borg Queen, and there's a little fight, and and uh, Data is involved there. So, uh, and of course, he shows his his true colors, and you know, doesn't um, doesn't do anything, uh, you know, to uh, what am I trying to say? He, he basically realize, or tells the Borg Queen to go leave, and that um, he's loyal to Picard and everyone. So here here's uh, after all that. Imagine I look worse than I feel. 
part of me is sorry she's dead. She was unique. She brought me closer to humanity than I ever thought possible. And for a time, I was tempted by her offer. How long a time? 0.68 seconds, sir. For an android, that is nearly an eternity. Yeah, I love that uh, that bit. You know, zero point what was it six eight or something like that. Not even a whole whole second. Data was slightly tempted for you know, and then of course he runs through all the possibilities in his mind and realizes, no, of course not. He's not going to go with the Borg. I mean. But I, I think when I first saw this, there was part of me that was just a little bit like, you know, well, maybe he will. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, maybe they've, you know, changed his programming somehow or whatever they've been able to do. But uh, one last clip from the film, and, I, and I'll wrap up my thoughts and then get into the comments from, from all of you guys. So uh, here's, the, here's the end of the movie, uh, which fittingly ends with, you know, the Vulcan ship coming down. And Cochran uh, meeting them, meeting aliens for the first time on Earth, shaking their hand, and so forth. I think it's time we made a discreet exit. Riker Enterprise, stand by to beam us up. You gotta go. first steps into a new frontier. I shall miss you, Lily. The God to Enterprise, energize. Report. The moon's gravitational field obscured our warp signature. The Vulcans did not detect us. Captain, I've reconfigured our warp field to match the chronometric readings of the Borg sphere. Recreate the vortex, Commander. Aye, sir. All decks report ready. Helm standing by. Mr. Data, lay in a course for the 24th century. I suspect our future is there waiting for us. Course laid in, sir. Make it so. Right, there you have Star Trek First Contact, 1996, uh, first again true TNG movie. Great job. Uh, I don't think uh, even the Nemesis, which I enjoyed uh, also, but still just everything really clicks in this movie so well. The story, the acting, the look, uh, you know, they got new uniforms, a new Enterprise, the, the tale of the Borg and time travel. Everything just fits so tightly together uh, so well. Uh, it's just... Um, a great movie and uh there's a a two dvd set that i was going to play a little bit but i'm i'm 
very short on time as always. But the the second disc on the DVD set has a lot of you know talk about the storyline and behind the scenes things on the the look and the effects and the uniforms and the makeup and and all kinds of goodies. So definitely, if you don't have that yet and you enjoy this film, pick that up. So uh, hey, let's get into uh, some of the listener comments. The first one up is from uh, Meds on the forums. Hi Vico, this is Meds, otherwise known as Hawkeye Meds on our forums. I thought I'd say something about First Contact. For me, this is the best TNG film. Everything about it works. The writing is excellent and acted out perfectly. Probably because of the fact that the actors are that moulded into their characters, they really can't go wrong. The nice touch about this film, though, is that nearly all of the main characters have some great scenes. Data's is obvious, with the Borg Queen, and Brent Spiner obviously loves playing his character. Geordie, being in total awe of a bemused Ephraim Cochran, always wins. But for me, two scenes really do stand out. And that is with Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, in the bar drunk with Ephraim Cochran. The funny thing about that, though, is Jonathan Frakes. It's his face. You're not 100% sure if Frakes is playing it as Riker, or as the bemused director. The other scene, though, is with Picard, and when he loses his temper with Lily, and the end result of him smashing up the display case, carrying all the Enterprises. It's just brilliantly acting by Patrick Stewart, as you would expect, but evidence enough not to let him anywhere near your collectible cabinet, Rico. Frakes does a great job at directing, and it's nice to see he got the chance to direct again. James Cromwell, as Ephraim Cochran, is a great bit of casting, and of course he would reprise a role in Enterprise. Interesting fact, though, is that Cromwell is the only actor in the Trek universe to say Star Trek. South African actress Alice Krieg pulls out all the stops, and even makes the Borg Queen worryingly sexy. I think it's time for the pills. Thanks for reviewing this film, Rico. Cheers. Glad to hear from you. Uh, just uh, really, uh, it's amazing how everyone really enjoys those couple of scenes, especially. And I, I agree with you about uh, Jonathan Frakes. His expression is a little in that bar scene, a little bit like maybe he's just like, uh, you know, a little bit got that smirk on his face because he's more thinking as the director than as uh, Will Riker at that point, uh, which has always got to be tricky to do both in a movie, you know, direct and act in it as well. Leonard Nimoy, of course, did that a couple of times in, in Star Trek films. So, hey, let's go through, uh, let's get another one, another entry here. This is from uh, Joe, who I think is uh, Billy Bob on the forum. So take it away, Joe. Hi, Trucks and Sci-Fi. This is Joe from Toronto, Billy Bob on the forums. And uh, I just wanted to uh, give some comments on Star Trek First Contact. Uh, this is uh, by far one of my favorite TNG movies. I, I like to refer to it as the Wrath of Khan of the TNG movies, meaning that it's the best one. Uh, it's it's very good for a lot of reasons. Uh, personally, I think this movie really made the Borg a huge threat in people's minds. Like it was, a, they were obviously a huge threat before, you know, best of both worlds and all the attacks and assimilation and all of that. But just the new, the new costumes and kind of the new atmosphere that was created around them, and a lot had to do with the effects and you know the crazy assimilation tubules and all of that. Really made them a huge threat. Really made them, I think, the the threat and the enemy that the writers had originally intended them to be. The Borg are the worst kind of enemy they're an enemy that consumes people they don't kill they 
they enslave, they assimilate. Because, and I think that's very scary to people in general because we value our individuality and being forced to do something that we would never want to do and that we would never do ourselves and that kind of is abhorrent to us is a, is a very scary thing. Now, uh, on to the movie... Uh, there's there's a lot of very great moments in this movie from, uh, you know, obviously meeting Zephram Cochran, going back in time to uh, what is a turning point in, in the Star Trek universe, what basically made the Star Trek universe what it is, which is the creation of Warp Drive, the first successful warp flight. Other good scenes include Picard's patented freakout when he smashes all of his models. That is a classic scene. No! Oh my god, yes, it was just wonderful. I still love that scene. And, uh, you know, a lot of action. Very action-packed movie. One of the more action-packed movies uh, of the TNG ones, hence my relating it to to Wrath of Khan, because that was also a very action-packed movie. Finally, I want to talk about uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score to this movie. I think it's one of the more interesting and uh, well-done scores of, of most Star Trek movies. Uh, there's just a lot of little themes and a lot of little cues that really uh, evoke emotion and really get you into the scene. Like, uh, there's little cues of, like, the Borg, which is a kind of more ominous cue to more of the kind of Zephram Cochran first contact, victorious, overreaching theme of the movie. Uh, I just, I really, really like the uh, soundtrack to First Contact, the scoring of it. Uh, I listen to it often. So in conclusion, Star Trek First Contact is definitely one of my top Star Trek movies, TNG or otherwise. And uh, thank you, Rico, and thank you, Treks and Sci-Fi. This is Billy Bob, Joe from Toronto, signing off. Great to hear from you, Joe. Uh, I really liked your comments. I I didn't uh, bring up that, and I meant to more talk uh, a lot about the soundtrack, but I've covered music on trek before a little bit but not so much on the movies i know but yeah i agree completely this is uh really great to to listen to the the sound it's just it's kind of sad in places uh, but like you say hopeful and, and just really pulls you in and, and grabs at your emotions in the different places i mean it's not real uh, it's it's not real you know, kind of naval sounding, although it is at times. But I, I again, just uh, I don't know how to describe it. But you said the same thing, Joe. I think it's just uh, really fits the movie. I think very well. So uh, that's uh, that's great. I was really happy to hear from you, I, and uh, I'm glad that I got so many comments this time. This is really good, and I I hope this continues for episodes and other things I'll cover on the podcast. Uh, got two more to do. Uh, next up, hey Jen and Angela of the Anomaly Podcast, uh, step in and talk about uh, Star Trek First Contact. So take it away, girls. from your forums yes and we are going to send you this little 
MP3 comment on my favorite and mine and Angela's favorite Star Trek movie ever. Ever. First Contact. Yes. I love everything about this movie. Well, first of all, it's the first completely next gen cast because the well, one before it was oh, yeah, Generations, it was, but mm-hmm. it but it also had Kirk in it. It also had the other parts of the other cast. This is only next gen. First Contact Instruction Nemesis. Gotcha. Yep, that's how it goes. So, first all TNG movie, which mm-hmm. is great. Directed by William Franks. <laughs> did I say William Franks? You did! <laughs> Jonathan Franks. Jonathan Franks. Blast who plays William T. me. <laughs> no, William T. Kirk. <laughs> no, Richard T. Riker. Okay. Well, let's get started as a whole. I do like the idea of the whale when they talk about the whole thing is that the Borg's the whale and you know what I'm talking about? No, Moby Dick? Yes. Because that's what Moby the story Dick. is, yes, basically. See, when you said whale, I started thinking of the original series movie. Oh, um, no, uh, I'm sorry. I was speaking mer- metaphorically, a metaphorical okay. whale. And how Picard gets all freaky about it. Okay. Yeah, he gets very vengeful. But I do like one little section that I think is cool is when they're approaching and Data's talking about his feelings. He's like, sir, I, uh, I'm feeling anxiety. It's a very incredible feeling. And Picard says, you might want to turn that chip <laughs> off. And he just goes, click. And Picard looks at him like, sometimes I envy yes. you. <laughs> the actress that played the woman from Earth, Earth gets yes. brought aboard the Enterprise. Yes. Excellent actress. Yes. I love that She's exchange. Alfre Woodard. Mm-hmm, Alfre Woodard. The exchange between she and Picard in the ready room when he's preparing to destroy the ship. Right. Rather than let the Borg win. Right. And he has that argument about how they push forward, we step back. That was it. He's not budging anymore. He's right. going to draw the line. Here! 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 <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I also do not like when the Borg Queen sexes up data. <laughs> Ew! Oops! <laughs> It's rather disgusting. Another great actress, though. She was, she's very good. But still, that whole thing. <laughs> and when Data gets all about his skin, <laughs> I'm sorry. I adore you, Red Spider, but wow. So I guess we're supposed to be talking about what we like. Yes. So that would not be one of those things. Um, the music. The music is love really Love the music good. in this movie. It gives me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. It, it does. Just, it's awesome. And I especially like uh, Magic Carpet Ride, <laughs> which yeah. my dad, whenever I've watched it with him in the room, he's always like, what is this? Oh, okay, cool. Cool. I like this. I like this. Because of Magic Carpet and Ride. And I do like the the whole idea that history, the way history is, it kind of mm-hmm. sheds light on that. I, You know, the kind of the another big picture type of thing that you know, here's this person that they made statues of and mm-hmm. he's looking to the future and he's you know he is Ephraim Cochran and how amazing he is and how you know the real life man is much different than the historical figure mm-hmm. that everybody he looks doesn't at want to be that and person. it kind of makes you think about other people in history and you know how we view them as opposed to the kind of people that they really were not saying that all guys all people in history were jerks but just that you know everybody that we think of as doing something great although they accomplished great things first of all a it may not have been their intent or also they're still men they're mm-hmm. still people that everybody's still a person yeah and they have flaws just like everybody else but right. that we also kind of need heroes yes so. and last but not least the Vulcans yes. are the first contact. And I remember when I saw that in the theater. I th- and he, 
opens the hood. I'm doing the motion right now, which you can obviously see. Uh (laughs) I just remember saying yes. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Because Mm -hmm. when we have a first contact, Mm -hmm. I want it to be the Vulcans. (laughs) That land. I know you do, Jen. I know you do. How are you doing? I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just joking. I know it's it's not real. (laughs) I know it's not real. (laughs) It's real. I knew it! That will make no sense to anyone. No, not unless you've seen Galaxy Quest. <laughs> or listen to our podcast. Okay. I think we're done. Thank you, yes. Rico, for letting us talk. Thank you. We appreciate it. Bye. Okay. First, I want to have whatever it is you guys drinking or eating or whatever, and I need that every Sunday morning before I podcast because <laughs> it's great. Uh, great job, Jen and Angela. Really glad that you, you took the time to uh to give us your comments about uh, Magic Carpet Ride and, and First Contact. And, and Jen, of course the Vulcans are going to be the first first ones here because their their star is the closest to Earth, so at least of the big alien species in Trek. So they've got to be the first first contact for us. First first contact? I guess you can only have one first contact. So, Oh, and I apologize. Did I say Alfrey El- Woodward? Her name is Woodard. Boy, I, I've messed that up for years, I think. So, uh, But thanks again. And uh, we've got one more uh, listener uh, set uh, of uh, commentary to play. And, of course, this wouldn't be complete without hearing from the Moyers. So take it away, Father and Son Review. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is the Father and Son Review. Rico, we're so glad that you're doing another Star Trek movie, this time First Contact. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> Assimilate this. I just love that. Yo, that is a cool up. That's, that's, that's a good a, scene. Yeah, it is. So anyway, we um, we just wanted to comment quickly on the movie, and then we have a special song for you today. Um, Nathan, what did you think about First Contact, the movie? I thought it was one of the best Next Generation movies. Actually, yeah, it was the best one, I think. I think so, too. I think the editing was excellent. The directing was good. The There was comic comedy elements but at the same time are you saying i'm drunk <laughs> oh that was awesome that's right that's right diana and uh the jukebox down there with uh, zephyrin cochran and just that was just all really really good stuff after 11 shots of something called tequila <laughs> <laughs> excellent stuff but i think I, I what i liked about it is it it just kind of wrapped up all the different things that we'd heard at or heard about during the series and that brought it into the movie and it was just cool. As time tra- Anything's cool with time travel. I agree. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I got to take a leak. Oh, a, a leak? Can't, what? You Doesn't anybody go pee in the 24th century? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, it's a great show. Um, great movie. Uh, how many stars would you give it, Nathan? Five. You're going to give it five stars out of five? I actually will. I'll give it up there, too, because I- what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm blowing the air on Data's hair as the queen oh was it good for you and i am fully functional all right that's enough (laughs) that's enough don't get in that okay well anyway we wrote a song or i wrote a song for everybody and and did it uh it's to queens another one bites the dust it's called another one becomes us so uh, we hope you enjoy it this is rick and this is nathan and this has been the The father Father and son Son review Review. you broke your little ships not be successful, nor will your attempts to assimilate me into your collective. Brave words. I've heard them before.
from thousands of species across thousands of worlds since long before you were created. Let's go! Enterprise destroys the cube. The Borg, they're blown up all. Ain't no sound but the sound of space. And for the cube, there comes a ball. Can you hit it? Can you hit the ship? Can your scanners do the trick? Out of time, the distortion takes. As back in history, they slip. Yeah. Another one becomes us. Another one becomes us. And another one droned, another one droned, another one becomes us. Hey, hey, we'll assimilate you. Another one becomes us. Check out the environmental controls while I'm gone. It's getting a little warm in here. How do you think the temperature raised on the decks of the Enterprise? The grabbing crew members, boy, it's sad and much to their surprise. Are you crappy? Are you terrified? How long can you resist the queen? Out of the alcoves, the drones, they slip. The card knows what this means. Look out. Sounds Swedish. Another one becomes us. Another one becomes us. And another one droned. Another one droned. Another one becomes us. Hey, we'll assimilate you. Another one becomes us. Unless you make that warp flight tomorrow morning, before 11.15, none of it will happen. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Assistance is futile. Get off my bridge. Report! Main power's offline, we've lost shields, and our weapons are gone. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed! Another one becomes us. Another one becomes us. Another one becomes us. Hey, hey! Another one becomes us. Hey, 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 hey. Such a noble creature. Quality we sometimes lack. Plenty ways to assimilate men and one quite effective. You can tempt, you can mock, you can use your probes and leave to the collective. I'm adapting, I'm adapting for you, my technology all the while. Out of the plasma, I can hear you say, resistance is futile. Another one becomes us. Another one becomes us. And another one droned, another one droned. Another one becomes us. Hey, we'll assimilate you. Another one becomes us. Totally and completely awesome. Thanks so much uh, for that <laughs> great song. Oh, Rick, your uh, talents never cease to amaze me. Thanks for that. And thanks to all of the people that commented and sent in uh, their thoughts on Star Trek First Comment. Really, I, and it was great to hear from you know such a kind of a wide range. You guys all brought up good points and interesting things and even things that I didn't bring up too, which is always, uh, you know, that's kind of my point out of, out of trying to, you know, 
kind of sort of stir up and bring in other people's perspective on these things because it's hard to uh, to cover every little aspect of it. And and you guys all brought up a little different thing and uh, and important stuff too. And just uh, really great to hear from all of you. And uh, I hope to do that uh, more uh, as we go through Trek and other things we'll talk about on the podcast. Okay, folks, we've uh, maybe hit the record length for the podcast this time, an uh, hour and a half or so, but I think it was good. Uh, I really enjoyed going through First Contact and talking about Comic-Con early in the show. No collectible, of course, no time uh, for this week. But again, next week, please send me in your videos about your favorite Trek episodes. Just contact me, treksf at gmail.com, if you have any questions about that. Uh, be happy to help you out, and I hope I get a lot of those. So until next time, uh, I just want to say thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be talking to you again uh, next week uh, in video with uh, lots of fun. So take care and, and visit treksandsci-fi.com. Sign up on the forums. Just check it all out. We're having a great time, and I hope you join us if you haven't yet. So. I will see you all and talk to you. Well, not see you, but talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Dusty Podcast Production.